Welcome aboard another great podcast. This is the Sing Second Sports Team. I am John Schofield. I'm joined by Ward Carroll, my co-host, and Bill Wagner, our special guest. We are here today, this week, to break down uh, what was a great day at Neiman Marine Corps Stadium. Um, in case you didn't watch it or see it or uh, follow it, uh, Navy won 31 to 29 um, over a very good Temple team. Um, you know, a pretty entertaining game. Uh, the highlight being at the end, a 50-yard field goal uh, by Bijan Nichols uh, that you know was really a very, very big uh, play in the game. Um, but for more on why Navy won um, and whether this is going to be a harbinger of things to come in the future, I'm going to send it over to Bill Wagner, who wrote a fantastic uh, wrap-up in the Indianapolis Capitol. But for a little glimpse of that, Wags, go ahead and take it away. Well, as I wrote in my column that appeared in Monday's uh, on online Monday, uh, it, <laughs> you don't know what to say about this Navy team. It's been a roller coaster. It's one good game followed by a bad game or vice versa. So you get blown out by BYU and then you show a lot of grit and determination and rally to beat Tulane 27-24. You go out to Colorado Springs and get embarrassed by Air Force 40-7. to and then you turn around and you look like a completely different team and beating a very tough Temple opponent, 31-29. So I, I don't even know what to think. As I mentioned in the column, I've, I've been wrong on every prediction this year. I predicted Navy to beat BYU. They got crushed. I predicted that they would lose on the road to Tulane, and they somehow pulled it out. Predicted they kill Air Force, and it was the opposite. Then, in the wake of that, I predicted that there was no way they could beat Temple just because of circumstances, and they, they win. So, who knows? Um, my breakdown is that uh, the fullback dive finally showed up, and it set the tone for the rest of the triple option. Navy's offensive line was getting pushed. They were winning the line of scrimmage, and that enabled Nelson Smith and Jamal Carruthers to run the ball inside effectively. They were getting four and five yards of pop up the middle on first and second down. That opens up the entire offense. Uh, they were able to get the perimeter pitch to the slotbacks going as a result. They had several big third down conversions with the pitch to the slotbacks. Um, Nelson Smith in particular had an outstanding game, rushed for 120 yards and two touchdowns. He had two breakaway touchdowns runs that were huge. Um, he looked very good, and to the point of we have to ask ourselves, is there a battle for the starting fullback job? Because Nelson looked better than Jamal on uh, Saturday. But all in all, very encouraging. Uh, we spoke to Ken Niamatololo uh, via presser today on Zoom, and he thought the return of Dalen Morris made a difference. He said that your quarterback has to read the option, direct the option, make sure the ball's getting it where it's supposed to be, and uh, he praised, gave uh, Dalen Morris high marks on that front. So I'll pass it along to Ward. He was on the sidelines working the chains, and I'm also interested to hear what Ward has to say about the atmosphere because I do believe 
having the brigade of midshipmen in the stands made a difference. Ward, your thoughts? Yeah, on that point, Wags, I believe the brigade being there made all the difference. The energy level was way up, and it struck me in the moments where the, the crowd surge can fill the, the, the spaces, they were there. Um, and you just see the, the posture and, and, and the body language of the team was, was a lot more intense um, than it was for the BYU game. The BYU game, uh, even with the presence of the uh, synthetic crowd ambient noise, uh, just as we've commented before on the show, felt, felt flat. It was actually very surreal. Um, this one did not at all feel that way. And they put the brigade, if you watched it on TV, you saw the brigade was on both sides of the field and both end zones, uh, socially distanced, masked up for the duration. The pep band was there. That made a huge difference. Just that the sound of the brass and the drums and the cymbals, and it felt like a real college football game. Um, and so I, I, that X factor, to my eye, made all the difference. Um, plus what you're saying, Wags, uh, about the sort of schizophrenic nature of this this season's team, um, whatever they lacked at Air Force, they brought. And after that first drive, it was just like this confidence piece that they had that they just. Uh, and I can tell you because I was actually on the Temple sideline of this game. We, you know, normally I'm working the down box on the home sideline, but because of COVID, we're working a short-handed crew and we're just manning the uh, visitor sideline, and I was the stats guy the, uh, for this game. And uh, it, it, it was just the wind out of their sails with that first possession, um, and they fought back, obviously. I think Temple's a class act, I will tell you. Their coach, very sharp. Uh, they were actually like pros. They never freaked out. Um, so I'm, I'm impressed with that program, and I think they'll be one to watch going forward. Uh, but – um, you know, Navy never quit. It was a gritty Coach Niamat type uh, performance, uh, you know, that we've seen. It was his 100th victory in his coaching career at Navy, which is uh, uh, amazing. And uh, what, a, what, a, what a milestone. Um, and uh, so it was a great, great day. Uh, actually uh, was yelling at some of the plebes uh, saying, hey, your first football game. Come on, you got to be psyched up, you know. And, uh, they were okay if you say so, and, and by the end, obviously they got it. Uh, and so the brigade needed this. Um, they got uh, weekends as a function of uh, the we the the victory, and and so it was just uh, it was the break that the entire uh, brigade of midshipmen needed. Not to mention the, the football team needed that win. So you called it a make or break, Wags. I think you were right. So we're we're in the make column right now. So no rest for the weary uh, up next uh, for this Naval Academy football team is a trip down to East Carolina, um, you know, which will, uh, again, be a very interesting challenge. You know, Wags isn't the only one who's been completely wrong um, on a bunch of times. Every single time I think they're going to get smoked, they win. Every single time they win, I think they're going to get smoked. So um, it's a it's a really, really interesting time um, for – uh, for this team. Um, but, you know, I, I really do think that, that the glide slope, you know, that they're on glide slope and that, that the future is bright. I completely agree with what Ward said about Temple. Um, I'm sure a lot of people saw it, but 
super class move at the end. They just lost a really, really tough game. And like a lot of opponents now do nowadays, uh, they very respectfully came over and allowed Navy to sing second, as our, uh, as our name um, uh, indicates. So, you know, Temple was really cool about that whole thing. Um, you know, the, the numbers weren't all that unimpressive for Temple. I thought Russo played a very good game. Anthony Russo, the quarterback, was was effective. Ramon Davis, the, the really good running back for them, the sophomore, uh, ran for almost 100 yards. Russo um, is gigantic, by the way. Yeah, he, like, he seems like a huge dude. Like he's got he's like huge. pro potential because he he almost looks like Joe Flacco in terms of how big he is. He's gigantic. Yeah, Russo was on target, and we should mention that. You know, we talked in the lead up about the Navy defense being depleted, and boy, were they! Uh, hour before game time, I walked into the press box and turned to Scott Strassmeyer, the sports information director, and said, uh, "What's up with injuries?" And he literally jerked a thumb and said, they're all out. <laughs> like the umpire, um, all four Navy defenders that were questionable were out. That would be the uh, C.S. Paya, the, the nose guard, Diego Fago and Tom Atuatelli, the inside linebackers, and Evan Falkman, the safety. Kevin Brennan didn't play in the first half because of the ejection for targeting the week before. So Navy was really depleted. And they had some guys step up. Terrell Adams was one of the starters at inside linebacker, and he had a game for himself, uh, led Navy with uh, nine tackles, and he's the one that made the pass breakup at the end of the game. He was named NAAA Athlete of the Week on Monday. He was named American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Week on Monday. So it looks like due to circumstance and injury, Navy has found themselves a player and won Terrell Adams. Yeah, those guys did step up. Um, to your point about the loss of the inside linebackers, Wags, you saw a couple of plays, pass plays across the middle where they definitely were exploiting the lack of speed in our, in our, in our backup linebackers. They did step up ultimately, but uh, you're starting to get concerned there mid-game when they were having some big gainers with pass plays, slant passes that were just working that all day for 10, 15 yards per play. Um, also, just think, if we hadn't broken up that that two-point conversion, it's it goes into overtime and it's maybe a different game altogether. So you cannot overstate how big that uh, breaking up that pass was in terms of the final score. That was huge. Yeah, a, a very big – well, they, just a lot of execution. You mentioned Brennan. You know, Kevin, you know, he's, he's having a hard time of it. He's, he's you know, been called down for targeting twice, ejected once. He comes back in the second half, had, uh, I think, seven tackles, five solo, you know, came back in and made a difference, you know, when he, when he did return. But, you know, that, it, it definitely is an indicator of, you know, that, that the next man up mentality works. But how much longer are they going to have to go next man up? So after – after uh, Strass did the, you know, Cowboy Joe West, you're out, ejection symbol, um, Wags, did you find anything else out about how long-term these injuries are? Did Nehemiah intimate anything today about their, uh, about their health? And, and can we or possibly will we see any of these guys against East Carolina on Saturday? That's a very good question, John. Um, Navy does not offer an injury report anymore. Uh, it's been a kind of a, a recent change. Uh, 
under Paul Johnson and throughout the early tenure of Kendi Amatololo, they had no problem commenting on injuries. But having so many opponents refuse to discuss injuries has led Navy to wonder why should we hand out our information when our opponents do not reciprocate. So they no longer will discuss injuries and what's going on. But I believe and have on fairly good authority that these were concussions and therefore you have the concussion protocol and that's a wild card uh, as to when you get cleared. It ends up, you know, the coaching staff has no say whatsoever. That's all training staff and they evaluate each individual and it, it is on an individual basis. So it's so many factors that go into it. The severity of your concussion. Have you had concussions before? So it's, it's unknown when any of those players will come back. Um, obviously, uh, Bachman, Tuatelli, and Fago are absolutely critical elements. Um, I don't think you want to go too much longer without having them in the lineup, so hopefully they'll be back. Um, real quickly, I'll, I'll mention something that Ward brought up. Uh, the Drum and Bugle Corps kind of gets a hard time uh, over the years about you know what they bring to the table and I found it interesting on social media. Maybe it was just because due to the circumstances, you could hear them much better. But I saw multiple social media posts praising the Drum and Bugle Corps for their performance, that they saying they sounded very sharp and were really on point. I, I don't know what Ward's thought would be. He knows more about the DMB than I, but they got a lot of they got a lot of pub. And praise, and uh, you know another unique element of a coronavirus uh, game is that not all the midshipmen did push-ups. I believe, and I don't know this to be exact, either a couple companies were reserved to do push-ups, or that was the plebes. I don't know, but only a very small segment of the mids would run down and do push-ups. Ward, any insights on either of those levels? Well, so. I, I I don't I probably don't know more about the DNB than you do to be to be honest. Um, but they were they sounded great, right? I mean, they really did sound fantastic, and you know, they're they're just the atmospheric was a, a lot and and a, a morale booster. I think now only plebes do push-ups. Period. So it wasn't just the plebes. Uh, but to your point, they were only doing them past the wall in the what's what would that be the north end zone? Yeah, the, yeah. the end zone um, that has the, yeah. the the grassy field. Yeah, and and where the cheerleaders were. Um, another, another cool thing to see the cheerleaders doing their their routines. You know, another sense of normalcy that we didn't have before. Remember in BYU there were two uniform personnel in the stands. It was the commandant and the soup. Um, both looking pretty forlorn, right? And so completely different here. I just think it all clicked, right? DNB was great. The the morale was high. As we were talking anecdotally last episode about the forced march literally of some of the intramural warriors and how they begrudge that they have to go. I don't think anybody walking out of there was going to say, I wish I hadn't been here, you know? And so it's to the point I made, which is, Winning kind of solves a lot of things in terms of the brigade's attitudes. Um, and so healthy all the way around. The, the yard needed this day, and, and it, was, it was perfect in all respects. 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, it, anyone who's anyone knows that, you know, the, the resident musical expert is Ward Carroll. Um, you know, he was fairly impressed with the tromboning I hear, um, you know, during the DMB performances, but I, all kidding aside, you're exactly right. Wags that there is this sort of D and B like, you know, fun dynamic of, of, you know, Hey, let's poke fun of the band kids and stuff them in their lockers and take their lunch money. Um, and, and I truly do echo what you guys are saying that, that DMV is a lot of work and they put their heart and soul into it and they are part of, you know, bringing in spirit and, and, and it certainly was there and hopefully it, hopefully it continues. You know, I think we're, we're at this very interesting cusp now of whether sports returns to normal, um, you know, down in the SEC coach Dan Mullen of the Florida Gators is getting kind of dumped on a lot. Some say fairly, some say unfairly for saying that he wants 90,000 people in, in the uh, Florida stadium for their next game. So um, I watched the know. Florida to that point, John, I watched the Florida A&M yeah. game. It Which looked to amazing. me, the stadium was near capacity, um, uh, you know, especially the upper decks. So I don't know if this is a Texas thing or whatever, but uh, you know, Florida lost and I'm sure that the coach is probably going back home and going, hey, we got to get, you know, we got to get the home fans in the stands. The X factor, the 13th man, the 12th man, um, you know, they want all of that energy. And, and absent a spike, you know, uh, in College Station, they'll keep doing it. You know, just like I think the mids in the stands is now the status quo for the rest of the home games, unless there's a spike, uh, you know, on the backside that's traceable to being present, uh, you know, in – in large numbers. I, I don't see it happening. Um, so uh, uh, bravo once again, I tweeted this, but bravo to the soup for pushing it and the governor for being a reasonable man and allowing the brigade to be there. Yeah, for sure. And, and really hopefully it, it continues. Could we possibly see an end of the season with fans on the stands for army Navy or for maybe uh, the Navy, you know, Navy's final home game of the season. Who knows? You know, you still have NFL games getting canceled. You still have um, you you still have a lot of issues out there, and you still have spiking in the numbers that that you know rightfully so makes a lot of people nervous. So with that, you know, we'll pivot. We're going to bring you um, you know later in the week a um, you know a, a pregame uh, preview of of what is coming at East Carolina, but just. You know, a, a tiny bit of info here. Uh, East Carolina just got their last win or their first win of the season. Um, yeah, and they put up a ton of numbers against a South Florida team that is not a walkover. Um, they started the year kind of on a tough foot. They got stomped, like really badly stomped by Central Florida, who's a very good team. They were number 13 in the country at the time. Um, you know, always a very, very good program led by jo Josh Heupel down there. But then, you know, a, a really quizzical loss against Georgia State, 49 to 29. And then they turn it around and they just, they kick at USF around the field, 44 to 24. So at 12 noon um, on ESPN Plus on Saturday, uh, Navy will, will come up against this team. Now, you know, not a whole lot known about them other than their quarterback, has a fantastic name. His name is Holton Ehlers. Uh, definitely sounds like he should be wearing an ascot and drinking some sort of a pink drink at an outside uh, at an outside bar location. 
Uh, they have a really good freshman running back who ran for a couple of scores and over 100 yards uh, last game. So, you know, without taking away too much of the preview show later in the week, Wags, what do you, what do you think is going to happen here um, and what should maybe be concerned about as they travel down to East Carolina? And do you know if East Carolina will have fans in the stands? I would guess not. Uh, I do not believe East Carolina is going to have fans in the stands. Uh, interacted with their sports information director th- this morning about getting my credential lined up because I will be attending and they're going to have limited media. So, yeah, the best I know, no fans at uh, Dowdy Ficklin Stadium down there in Greenville, North Carolina. You know, it's interesting. This has been a lopsided series. Navy's owned East Carolina over the years, and this goes back to games that were played between the schools before they both joined the American Athletic Conference. Um, that East, I don't know that there's a program that's played the triple option worse than East Carolina. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at – there was a year that Navy put up 76 points on East Carolina. Um, they've always torched East Carolina over the years, and uh, that's continued into the American Athletic Conference era for the most part. Uh, the interesting element, and we can talk about it further when we do more of a nuts and bolts preview, is that they finally have a coaching staff that understands option football. The head coach in his second year is Mike Houston. Um, and then he's got a, an assistant coach who, interestingly, the defensive coordinator followed Brian Newberry, the Navy defensive coordinator, at Kennesaw State. So this guy went against a triple option offense daily in practice at Kennesaw State, which is uh, – under the direction of head coach Brian Bohannon, who's a Paul Johnson disciple, was here at Navy with Johnson, went to Georgia Tech with him, and is now the head coach at Kennesaw State. So his former D coordinator is a D coordinator at, at East Carolina. And uh, Coach Niamat said both Houston – I think Mike Houston was at the Citadel and Lenore Rhine. Both Mike Houston and the defensive coordinator have – uh, experience against the triple option, and uh, Niamatololo seems to think they'll have a good plan. And he, he should know, as uh, we noted, the um, you know congratulations to Coach for getting his 100th win. Um, obviously, the winningest coach in Navy history. Um, you know, at this point, I didn't know you know that he had so many more wins, but. Um, you know, a very distant second to Niamat's 100 wins is George Welsh uh, with 55. He's pretty good. Charlie Weatherby won 30 over his time. And uh, Paul Johnson, you know, 45 and 29 at the end of, uh, at the end of his tenure. So, you know, Niamat, obviously the, the benefactor of being on station for a very long time, you know, started in 2007, but it's the it is the demonstrated success. And, and again, congrats to Coach for getting to uh, 100 wins. Uh, in third place behind George Welsh is uh, Eddie Erdelatz with 50 wins. So Niamat definitely definitely making his mark, and, and we all appreciate him for that. So uh, any last words before we, uh, before we take this abbreviated post-game pod out? I'll throw it over to you, Ward, first. Uh, no, I've kind of said everything that I have to say on this particular episode. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I'll, say you I'll just had chime, very good alchemy today. Go ahead. I'll just chime in. And first of all, we should mention on this pod that John Schofield and our erstwhile producer, Chris Cervello, who does a tremendous job behind the glass, doesn't get enough credit for what he does. They played TPC Sawgrass, the you know renowned course that is always a part of the PGA Tour and has hosted many major events. Is always an annual staple, the PGA Tour, probably one of the most popular events. They play TPC Sawgrass. This real quick, gentlemen, can we get a report with regard to scores? Ooh, so uh, I'll speak for my playing partner today. Um, he shot a very, very good round. He, he followed up a 43 on the front with a 43 on the back. He, he parred the Island Green on 17. Um, with a very good shot and a, and a cozy little putt up there. Uh, we had a great time. Was it time. better than we most? Played. Was it better than most? I, I, so I tried that. I was like, <laughs> could be better than most. Um, it, it was a really fun, uh, really challenging course. Like if you get, if you get a little bit left or right, um, you, you'll get, you'll get bailed out in the pine straw on some holes and on some holes. I, I can tell you right now, I lost four balls on one hole today. Um, which was number 10, which started my back nine into what I like to call a tailspin. Um, just because I am a total mental midget on the, uh, on the golf course, like the six inches between my ears just don't work. But Chris, what was your, uh, what was your impression? You had played sawgrass before. This was a bucket list item for me. Um, what was your impression of the course today? Yeah, we had a great day. Um, they are getting ready to overseed. So we were the beneficiaries of some, uh, pretty tight rough. Um, when, when we played there a year ago, September, the rough was a little longer. So the couple times that we rolled out of the fairway, um, we, we did have a nice, uh, a much nicer or much more forgiving rough, uh, to, to hit from. Um, so I think that helped. The weather was gorgeous. It was, uh, low eighties, um, you know, with wind blowing, um, we were really psyched that all three of us parred, uh, the Island green. So, uh, that, that didn't happen the last time I played sawgrass. I don't even think I hit the green, let, let alone, uh, what was the yardage? What was the yardage? We, it was so 135, like 135 and we played yeah, it okay. from the, uh, the pro tees. Uh, we were playing from the blues. Um, but for that particular hole, we went over and played from where, uh, the, the pros play. So, uh, we had a great caddy, uh, John, do you want to throw his name out? That was, uh, Pat Owen uh, was nice enough to connect us with a uh, caddy down here that uh, is from the Gambrels deal area, had lived, uh, had played Navy many, many times, is a friend of uh, Navy golf, and just we couldn't have asked for a, a better guide uh, to take us around the track. Yeah, Marco, uh, so many thanks to Coach Owen for, for hooking us up with Marco, who um, is a longtime friend of Pat Owen, and and just like all of us who know Pat, you know, speaks glowingly of him. But he was, you know, he was your Mark One, Mod Zero, stereotypical caddy, like, you know, gregarious, funny, dropping awesome jokes. You hit a crappy shot, and he tries to make you feel better about yourself. Um, after I had deposited three balls OB on number ten right after he had told me like, Hey, just don't go left and you'll be fine. And then I went left three times and lost three balls. Uh, the next hole he said, Hey, yeah, don't go down the middle of the fairway. Yeah. Definitely don't want to do that. Yeah. To, to try to encourage me to find the fairway, which I didn't do. 
So it, it was a, it was a lot of fun, you know, for for those who are familiar with uh, the Schofield situation. My father, who's been on this podcast before, is in uh, extreme declining health. Um, I almost didn't come down and make this trip um, just because we we believe that my my, my father is kind of nearing uh, end game. But it was it was precisely what I needed uh, emotionally and um, psychologically to just kind of wrap my head around where where things were. It was a nice. It was a nice escape before I before I return, um, you know, to kind of take care of some unfortunate business uh, later on down the line. But a, a super fun time, and many thanks to Chris and his brother. Our third our third uh, player today was uh, Jeff Cervello, who is a friend of the pod and a supporter of the pod, and Chris's brother. Um, yeah, just a, a fantastic day uh, with great friends. The only thing that was missing was Warden Wags, and hopefully. As we return and the cold, dank rain of the last couple of days in Annapolis gets out of the system, uh, we can resume the Sing Second Sports um, golf outings in the future and, and you know, in perpetuity. So um, many thanks to, uh, to, to Warden Wags. Wags, if you have any last, last words other than the golf, go ahead and say them, and then we will take this baby out of here. Well, I think that on behalf of Ward. And Chris and myself, the entire Sing Second Sports team, uh, we say God bless Jack Schofield. He's a Anne Arundel County Sports Hall of Famer. Uh, he's the University of Maryland Hall of Famer. He's a St. Mary's High School Hall of Famer. Uh, just a legendary figure. And this is shaping up to be a difficult week for me. I hear Monday as we tape, uh, just before I came on the air to tape with you, I filed a obituary story about Lewis Carter, who was one of the greatest football players in Maryland history, played in the NFL. He's also an Anne Arundel County Sports Hall of Famer. He's an Arundel High product, and we lost Lewis Carter over the weekend. And uh, now we're on the verge with John Jack Schofield, and that would be two University of Maryland greats, two Anne Arundel County Sports Hall of Famers, and that's, that's hard. Um, our condolences to the Schofield family for what they're going through here and just hope that Jack doesn't suffer. No, I appreciate it. He's got uh, great care um, there in Anne Arundel Medical Center and, um, and you guys have just been phenomenal about it. It's, it's a long road for, I'll, I'll end with this. No one listens to this podcast for things that are not related to sports. And some people don't even like us talking about golf, but yeah, you know, Jack Schofield raised me as a single parent. He was, uh, he got a raw deal. He, um, had a really tough scenario that he had to deal with, and he raised uh, a young a young son, you know, almost from when I was eight years old. And you're talking about a, a guy who not only was a fantastic athlete and Hall of Famer, but then he did two tours in Vietnam. Um, he was a very successful businessman and and retired as the vice president of marketing for Johnson and Johnson, the entire company. But he taught me at a very very young age that sports is a very, very good indicator of the challenges that you see in life. And that when that ball rolls between your legs for an error at third base, uh, that the last thing in the world you should be doing is, is hanging your head and getting upset that, you know, the next thing on your mind should be, God, I fucking hope that the next ball is hit to me so I can redeem myself. And that sports is your opportunity to succeed. And, and that at first you don't succeed you try and try again, and it becomes very much of a model for how you live a regular life. And uh, and I thank him for the lessons he taught me and being 
um, the sportsman that I, uh, that I always wanted to be. And in a lot of ways, not to make this a convenient segue, but in a lot of ways, sing second sports, our pursuit of this and our love of this was, was really born out of my dad's, um, you know, athletic career and his espousing of sports in my life. So thank you to him. And thank you to you guys again. So for, uh, Bill Wagner, who again, just keeps writing amazing things, um, in the Capitol, please follow him on Twitter. Please read his stuff on, uh, tap gas news. And for Ward Carroll, um, phenomenal trombonist, plays a pan flute like crazy, um, really, really good uh, D&B uh, supporter out there. And Chris Cervello for his 43 and 43 at Sawgrass Day. I am John Schofield. We will see you later in the week with a full pregame preview of East Carolina. But for now, uh, from Sawgrass um, in sunny Florida, this is Sing Second Sports. We are. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.